It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone here. And we kind of took last weekend off, didn't we? A lot of us did. It was Memorial Day weekend, and it's just been nonstop, just nonstop. And we just kind of needed a break to rest and, and just do nothing. And so we're back, though. We got a brand new show. Are you back? You're back? You're okay? Everybody's okay? I always like to ask if everybody's okay, because there's a lot of people out here. <sighs> Unfortunately, they're not okay. And so it's good to, to sometimes ask if you are doing okay. And so if you are not, it's, it's okay to not be okay. But um, if you need some rest, if you need some help professionally, go get some. That's what the experts are in business for. So I've I've had to go get some help in the past. Yes, I have. I'm proud to say that I did. Well, okay. Let's get on with the show here. We have we have guests. We have uh, what do we've got? We got three guests. We've got. Um, hey, if you're a fan of, or maybe you're a subscriber to the New Yorker magazine. Well, if you are, we have a cartoonist. Uh, one of their award-winning cartoonists will be joining us about his new book. We have a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, who I understand divides his time between LA and Las Vegas. Uh, he has a new film out. It's a sequel, actually. Remember the movie The Wedding Pact that came out in 2014? Well, Matt Berman is the filmmaker, and he has a new sequel that will be released on June 14th, so he'll be joining us. And then, to further speak of that movie, we have one of the cast uh, persons, ca I should say cast actors from The Wedding Pact, The Baby Pact is the full name of the sequel. Scott Michael Campbell will be joining us shortly. So, full slate of guests as always. And so what we're going to do is take a quick little breaky thing here. And when we come back, we will have our first guest. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. We'll be right back after this. Okay, before we bring on our first guest, I wanted to share some information with you that I think will be a lot of fun to know about, especially if you are into playing trivia games, uh, as far as entertainment, films, television, and all of that. I think you'll love this because I, I thought it was real cool stuff to know about. Well, according to the latest study by the website confused.com, that's their real name, Confused.com. Well, their research reveals the most expensive jewelry items ever worn by various film stars on the big screen and on television as well. Now, they uh, received their valuations. Uh, they were provided by Queensmith. So the number one most expensive piece of jewelry 
ever worn in the films is the heart of the ocean necklace that was worn by the character Rose in the Titanic movie. And of course, that was uh, a role portrayed by Kate Winslet. The, the film, the, uh, I'm sorry, the jewelry, the necklace, this necklace is valued at $500,750,000. I am not kidding you. ka -ching. Now, I don't know who owns it currently, but is it in a museum? Is it in a private collector's vault somewhere? But wherever it is, that necklace that Kate Winslet's character wears is now worth $500,750,000. It has, uh, it's a 56 carat heart-shaped blue diamond. And it was inspired by the Hope Diamond. How can we forget it? It was just so beautiful. I think that was like, okay, the movie, I saw the Titanic movie like six times. But anyway, I, I think I was just looking at that necklace probably, but it was a great movie. And so the second most expensive item, piece of jewelry, I should say, on the list, according to Confuse.com, the second most expensive piece of jewelry ever worn in a film on the big screen, it is the necklace worn by the character Daphne Kluger from Ocean's 8. And of course, that was Anne Hathaway's character. So that necklace is valued at $150 million. Oh my goodness. Uh, it is a 136.25 carat blue white diamond. Yes, yes, yes. It's just amazing. And, but also it's a long, kind of a long list here. You can go and see it, you know, confused.com or either you ask me info at filmfestivalradio.com. I'll send you the link. So, but also on the list is the Bulgari necklace that was worn by Lady Gaga in the movie House of Gucci that came out last year. Now it's not as expensive as these other two necklaces, but it is currently valued at $625,800. Yeah, that'll take you to Disneyland for a minute or two. So uh, yeah, that necklace, uh, 12 carat, uh, I believe it. No, I'm wrong. I am wrong. I am wrong. It's 12 carats plus. And um, it's green diamond. It was just beautiful, of course. And it was worn by Lady Gaga's character and Lady Gaga herself. So anyway, those are just a few fun facts that you can use during trivia time. I like trivia. I'm not good at it, but I like it. So uh, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we will have our first guest joining us. This is Drew and Jonathan Scott, the Property Brothers, and you are listening to Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, how many of you out there are subscribers to the New Yorker magazine? Or maybe you've just read through it like me sometimes. I used to be a subscriber. I really did a long time ago. Uh, maybe you were just like, you know, scanning through it at the bookstore or at the airport newsstand or something. But either way it goes, the New Yorker has been around since 1925. And it is such a part of uh, American pop culture, American journalism, known for their, not only their uh, editorials and their article content, but more so for their hundreds of cartoons by some of the most brilliant cartoonists in the world out there. And so uh, a lot of times those cartoons are not accepted by their editors. And so 
what happens to those cartoons? Some, sometimes they're a little bit too risque. Some of them have a bit of a message politically that may not be politically correct. But they're just kind of like, okay, what happens to those cartoons? About 99% uh, I was told of those cartoons that are submitted to the New Yorker sometimes don't even make the cut at all. So if you want to know where a lot of those cartoons that are submitted to the New Yorker go, well, we have the answer. Enter our guest here. He, as I said, he is one of the uh, cartoonists for the New Yorker. His name is uh, Matthew Diffie, and he's been uh, accepts ascending, and they've been accepting his cartoons, I believe, since 1999. And he has a brand new book out. It's called The Rejection Collection. <laughs> what a title! That's the short title. The full title is The Rejection Collection. 297 cartoons that were too dark, too weird, or too dirty for the New Yorker. Full title there, but you can always just go the rejection collection. But again, uh, Matthew Diffie is the author, and uh, we I love this book. It's a fun, fun book, and this is one of the keepers, I should say, for my shelf because the God, I get so many books. Uh, sometimes we just have to donate a lot of them to different places, but this one is a keeper. So uh, Matthew Diffie is on board. Let's bring him on to talk about his brand new book, short title, The Best of the Rejection Collection. So let's bring him on. I'll place you through. You have about uh, eight minutes for the interview. One more, please. I'm ready. Malone, please go ahead. Well, hello, Matthew Diffie. Hello, how are you? I'm just excellent. And I will uh, tell our listeners here that Matthew Diffie, you are a contributing cartoonist to The New Yorker since 1999. And now you have this yep. really cool book. I love this book. It's called The Best of the Rejection Collection, 297 Cartoons That Were Too Dark, Too Weird, or Too Dirty for the New Yorker. What a title, Matthew. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah 55 of my New Yorker cartoonist colleagues were kind of putting our best, worst cartoons into these books. And so, in your in, in you you the cartoonist okay you guys obviously it's your work you, mm -hmm. you you love all of your work so what was the what are some of the excuses that the the editors at New Yorker why did they reject some of these cartoons oh uh, well these are very inappropriate for probably any magazine but certainly for the sophisticated New Yorker um, this is you know the jokes that we submit to them knowing that they're going to reject them but just so we can kind of remind ourselves that we're funny and show them to each other. Um, so I think every cartoon in here is, is they were correct to reject them. <laughs> so you guys intentionally did some of these. Okay. Okay. But this is such a fun book. So, okay. So how did the, the whole idea for the best of the rejection collection come together? Was Were you just maybe playing golf one day and just say, hey, let's do this <laughs> or what? I don't play golf despite the, the New Yorker uh, reputation. No, I, I started cartooning, you know, like I said, over 20 years ago, and immediately doing 10 ideas a week, and you're really lucky to sell one. So you have 90% of your stuff that's 
being rejected. And immediately I was like, well, some of this stuff is, is good. And I looked around at all my colleagues, and they had the same exact situation, in some cases years and years of doing this. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard to come up with the idea. It was just a matter of finding a publisher and us pooling our best rejected stuff. And everyone was excited about it. The cartoonists were excited about doing it because these cartoons were, would never see the light of day otherwise. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fun project. It's almost like the kids kind of running the, running the show for a while or having like a secret party in the basement while the parents are upstairs. It's, it's our chance to kind of let loose because The New Yorker is it's a very sophisticated place and you have to be subtle and, and appropriate all the time. So this is us going crazy. So, uh, which cartoons in your book are some of your favorites? Well, there's one by Mike Tui that I love. Uh, it's just like a cafe scene, like a coffee shop. And at the top it says, home of the bottomless cup of coffee. And then you see the waiter, it's a male waiter wearing no pants as he oh. pours a cup of coffee. Oh, goodness. Um, to me, that's a very funny one. And very much like in the spirit of the New Yorker. It's, it's so dumb and so gross and so non-New Yorker. To me, that's half of the fun of these books is seeing these cartoonists um, who you normally see in the New Yorker, but seeing them do this this stuff that's just wrong. Um, to me, that's half the fun. And the fact that we even submitted it to the New Yorker, like they're never going to do that <laughs> cartoon, but um, that's the fun of it for me. And then there's another one that, that I love by Glenn LaLibre, this one's, this one's funny, but also makes sort of a deeper point. And it's, it says across the top, it says DIY blasphemy. And then it's a picture of the prophet Muhammad, but it's, it's not drawn. It's a connect the dot so that you would basically do it yourself. Um, that was funny to me and also like conceptually funny and, and did make the point of, you know, the censorship uh, that we're dealing with, especially, you know, back then <clears throat> in cartoons. It's, well, do you know if... Uh, but there's so many others that I love. So many. Uh, well, 297. I know it's hard to pick one or two. Uh, but right. so do you know if The New Yorker is going to give your book a review or not or, or what? <laughs> I don't know. Um, they're, they're okay with it, for sure, because it's not... It, 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 we're not saying that The New Yorker, you know, made a mistake in not running these cartoons. It's, it's completely clear that they were they were right not to run these. So, so it's good. They, they enjoy the fact that we you know, still uh, find some other, you know, sources to make money and to, to, to get our work out there. Cause the New Yorker, New Yorker is really the last place to do it. So it's nice to have another outlet like the rejection collection. Oh yeah. The New Yorker is just such a vital part of American pop culture and journalism and all of that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've been, with them mm -hmm. since 99 is amazing just totally amazing yeah so as a cartoonist uh, for all these years and in dealing with modern technology and you know what that being what it is do publications like you said is their last of a dying breed but do they still accept and want to see work from guys a cartoonist such as yourself or, or how is that what is that market like now Um, did, I, I, I didn't hear that very well. Oh, I said... Does a New Yorker still want to, want to see cartoons? Well, yeah, well, for, for new people who want to break into it and with the technology just taking oh. over your profession, my profession, everybody's profession, I mean, how does that work nowadays? 
Yeah, well, the, the main change, I guess, is that, you know, you can send them <laughs> through the Internet. You know, it used to be when I first started, I guess you could still send them in the Internet, but we, we shuffled in, you know, off the street in New York and, and sat there with the editor. Um, but nowadays, I think a lot of the younger cartoonists are drawing digitally. That's a big change. Um, I'm still working with paper and pencil, but um, I think probably most of the cartoonists are working, you know, on some sort of, you know, digital drawing pad um, and sending them in that way. Um, I think that's the only way that technology has interacted with it. It's really sort of an old, it's an old art, even if you're drawing digitally and you're still just, you know, drawing one picture and writing one joke. So, I mean, I think the people that are doing it appreciate that tradition that we're part of. How, how close is the line between what you do and maybe doing stand-up comedy? Yeah, well, I tried to do stand-up comedy for years and just didn't have, like, the, the, the personality, the performance chops. Um, so I would end up selling my jokes to other comedians. Um, so there, there, there definitely is a, a similarity in how you write a joke and how you, you know, you end with the punchline and the, the rhythm of syllables and stuff. Um, and in this case, I'm just, instead of delivering it through a mic, I'm just drawing a, a scene and having a character deliver the joke. But it's still joke writing. Yeah, I mean, I can see a book like this, you know, if they were to ever resurrect Friends or Seinfeld. Like, I can see your, your book being a part of a scene for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Mm. I can't. I yeah. can't. And with this, the whole animation nation, I would love to see some of these cartoons come to life in animation. That would be interesting yeah really that would be fun it would be a lot of fun well again the book is the best of the rejection collection 297 cartoons that were too dark too weird or too dirty for the new yorker by you matthew diffie thank you so much for this book i really enjoy it i, I often go back and look through it when things are really crazy and so thank you for this work it's really a good one Great. Thank you. It's nice talking about it with you. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll check with you next book. Tell everybody your website is MatthewDiffie.com. Yep. And Diffie is spelled D as in dog, I-F-F-E-E.com. And they can find you and say hello to you and get your book, too. Yep. Okay. Yep. Thank you again. Thank have a, you. Have a great rest of the day. You, too. Bye okay. Bye-bye. So here we go. Okay, listeners, we have our next guest on board with us. He's a very talented actor and producer, writer. And Scott, I think you do some directing as well. Scott Michael Campbell, welcome to Film Festival Radio Show. Uh, thank you very much, Janice. It's uh, good to be on Film Festival Radio. Well, we have seen you and your work in so many films and television shows from Brokeback Mountain to Push to Flight of the Phoenix. I mean, we could just go on all day. You have such an impressive resume. But now we are about to see you uh, later this month on June 14th in The Wedding Pact to The Baby Pact. And uh, we'll be talking with the uh, writer, uh, director of the, the film, Bur Matt Berman, right after you. So tell us about your role in The Wedding Pact 2. Uh, well, Janet, as you know, it's, uh, as you probably know, it's a sequel, hence the name Baby Pact or Wedding Pact 2. I can't ever get a 
straight answer from Matt what he's actually calling us, but <laughs> it's either the baby pack two or the wedding pack. Um, but in the, uh, gosh, we were, talking, we were talking about it the other day, it's almost eight, maybe nine years since we did the first one. And in the first uh, film, I was kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a bad guy in romantic comedies, but I was uh, not well liked. Let's just say that. Okay. And uh, so I make another. I make another. I was actually uh, Haley Duff's fiance in the first um, film, and now I'm making a little appearance in the second one. Okay. So will we like your character a little bit more, or about the same? Oh, one can hope. We're hoping for a little bit of vindication on this one. Matt, uh, Matt's a very good friend of mine, and we've talked about it for a while. So, I, you know, I'm hoping so. I mean, you don't want to do the same thing in every film. We want to make it switch it up a little bit. So hopefully I'm, um, hopefully there's a little bit of redemption for, uh, for Jake in this one. That's what we're hoping for. Well, The Wedding Pack, the original one, is, uh, still remains a very popular film, especially this time of year. This is, I guess, the height of the uh, the beginning of the wedding season for brides, late spring, early summer. Uh, are you surprised that people still like uh, the original Wedding Pack film? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's uh, like Haley, for instance, or I'm back home in Montana visiting my family right now, and I was just talking to one of my relatives who really, really loves, loves Hallmark movies. A lot of the Christmas bit, these Hallmark movies, these romantic comedies, a little bit uh, more family friendly. And um, yeah, it's kind of uh, one thing that I think was really nice for all of us to kind of revisit it. And also we have Heather McComb, who's a very good friend of mine. She plays Haley's verse in this film. And uh, it's kind of, um, it's kind of nice to revisit like a sequel because usually when you do a film or do a television show you it's just gone forever and it's just uh, it's just a part of that thing but when you get to come back and revisit not just a character but also the friends that you that you stayed in contact with and also got to work with it's been I think fun for us anyway so I'm hoping that audiences like it I've talked to a lot of people that seem to think they, they get a they get a real kick out of it and I think this one's just kind of no, every every time Matt does a, I'm just kind of, he steps it up a little bit. So we had a really good time going over to Fort Wayne, Indiana to shoot some of the film, and now we're having premiere for it. I think in Connecticut this week. Yeah, I understand you guys will be going up to Newtown. Uh, for a big premiere and such. And uh, we'll get more of those details when we bring Matt on board shortly here. Well, now, I also understand as far as, far as you are concerned, uh, next month you will be making an appearance in uh, For All Mankind on Apple TV+. Plus. So tell us about that. Uh, well, I, uh, the third season comes out, which, like you said, it's an Apple TV show. The third season premieres on June 10th, I believe. And I I started working on it in the middle of the second season. We were actually finishing up the uh, second season when COVID broke out. And obviously the whole world got put on hold. But uh, it's just, it's great. It's the only thing I've ever done for Apple. But the, the people over there and the subject matter and just the, the writing, the production, the people that... They get involved in it. It's such a high echelon. And it's really, you know, I'm a little bit of a history buff, and so the whole premise of it is, you know, what if basically the Russians had beat 
the Americans to the moon in the space race in the 1960s. And this alternate reality that sort of happened, and it's just, uh, it's, it's back. And I think I pop in there for a second. Usually, Stephen, what they, um, so, you know, everything that's going on with politics in the world and, and everything, I think we're trying to get to Mars this, this, uh, season. So it'll be interesting to see. I really got hooked on that show. A lot of times I want, I haven't seen a show until I end up doing it, and then I'll start watching it and just be completely uh, sucked into it. So okay. I'm looking forward just to just to watch the show when it comes out on June 10. Okay, we, we'll uh, be looking forward to seeing you. I understand it's. I think my note said that's episode seven. I think for your character. Uh, okay, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah. Perfect episode seven. Episode seven. That's so. Going to, going to Mars. That's. I mean, if if when they start actually going to Mars, making trips, would you like to be one of the first people to go and visit and come back and tell us what it's like? Uh, you know, I watch. Uh, I watch, watch a lot of the things that Elon Musk and uh, you know SpaceX and you know the rover going up to Mars. And I watch a lot of these little kind of mini documentaries on people that are already starting to train and how. I don't know if I'd have the constitution to make the trip because yes. it's even going to the moon. Like a little trip it takes when they moon to Earth, there's about a two second delay for the radio transmission that travels at the speed of light to make it back to Earth. So that's about the moon. But when people are on Mars, the time delay is something like 20 minutes because it's so far away. And I think, I mean, anxiety, doing lots of things. I don't know if better. I think there's probably people that are better equipped to uh, make that journey than me. Yeah, I agree with you. I have enough trouble flying uh, internationally, so I don't know about. Exactly. <laughs> you know. we'll, we'll leave that to, uh, but you know what? There's a lot of people that are up for doing it. So, and gosh, at this uh at this rate, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but we see how quickly technology and just innovation is uh, happening in our world. And somebody said it, it's probably Musk or somebody at NASA said they want uh, a million people up there. I don't know, by next fall? No, nah, it's not by next fall. It's oh, by dear. 2035 or 2050 or something. Well, okay, they can just send us a postcard back and we'll go, hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I'll, I'll, we'll hold down the fort, right? Yeah. That's it. We'll hold down the fort. We'll, you know, they can FaceTime us or something like that. I'll take their word for how great it is. So. Oh, yeah, just send pictures. I'll, I'll put them on Facebook and we'll all be able to live vicariously. That's it. That's good enough for me. Well, anyway, Scott, thank you so much for chatting. I know you're visiting family and uh, part of the country, they call it, uh, what is it called? God, God's country, big sky, that whole region. Yeah, I mean, we got a, we have a great big country with a lot of amazing places. But, uh, yeah, Montana, uh, big sky country, or the last best place. It's, uh, it's one of the, I think, in my personal opinion, it's not just because I'm jaded and I'm from here, yeah, but it's one of my favorites. It's pretty. Yeah, it definitely is. I visited there years ago when I was living in Denver and went over you to have Montana. To come up sometimes. Come yeah. up and hit up Glacier Park. Yeah, I should. Take Make... fly fishing or do something. I would love that fishing. Definitely love that fishing for sure. 
But in the meantime, we will look forward to seeing you and the rest of the cast on June 14th, just a couple of weeks from now, in the wedding pack to the baby pack. So I see Matt just put both titles together so he, we wouldn't get mixed up here. So He likes to have options. You know, <laughs> So we'll see. I think I think the poster. I have to look at the poster again. I think it might be his wedding pack. You know what they do with films sometimes when it comes out in different countries and stuff. Uh, yeah. They just change the name. So we'll we'll, we'll have to you know we'll give them to look forward to. We'll see what it, we'll see uh, next week what it's going to be called. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, and hopefully I will see you uh, next film project or television project. I love that. Thing. Okay. Bye bye. Wow, we had bad connection there. Uh, he's probably, well, he's in Montana, so connection was fading in and out, trying to, to hang on board there before we, hopefully we didn't get connect, disconnected. Okay, thank you, Scott. Uh, we had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties there because uh, just a connection, you know, he is in Montana. He may may have been camping, maybe in the mountains somewhere, but I don't know. Sometimes these cell phones just act crazy, but we did get most of what we needed there. So uh, we're going to take a quick break for about 30 seconds. And when we come back, we'll be talking with the man that's behind the wedding pack to the baby packed uh, new film. So we'll be talking with Matt Berman. So take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back with our next guest here. And, uh, well, you know, it's spring. What is this? Late spring? I guess you could call it late springs. One of my favorite times of year. And it's getting to be in the official late spring summer wedding season. It's always a great time for brides-to-be. And that brings me to our next guest. No, he is not a wedding planner or anything, and he's not a, a getting married. He's already married. But uh, my guest is, that we'll be bringing on shortly, is writer, producer, director, Matt Berman. And how, I mean, how many of you saw uh, the movie, The Wedding Pact, back in 2014? Very popular movie. I think it's still somewhere in the world is still selling and being seen, but The Wedding Pact, it was a fun uh, rom-com type movie. Well, Matt Berman uh, wrote and directed that movie, and now he is back for the sequel, and it's titled The Wedding Pact 2, The Baby Pact. <laughs> yes, yes, The Wedding Pact has an offspring, and it's The Wedding Pact 2, The Baby Pact, and it will be released on June 14th, on pay-per-view, video on demand, and all of the other major platforms where all of those great films and television uh, uh, series, I should say, take place. You can find them wherever you get your streaming, wherever you get your PO, uh, VOD and pay-per-view and all that stuff. So um, this film has a, a really nice cast, and we'll talk more with Matt about his cast. And so with, with The Wedding Pack 2, The Baby Pact, what it does is that it kind of picks up where the original, the Wedding Pack film left off. So does this couple, do they live happily ever after? They've gotten married as we saw in the first film. So what's going on with them now? Obviously there is a baby. Uh, is it already here or is this pregnancy baby about to happen or what? So it just kind of really shows that the core of the film shows that no matter how crazy things are in the world, 
doesn't matter. What really matters is family and that family bond that can never be broken. So let's bring Matt Berman on now to talk with us more about his latest film, The Wedding Pact 2, The Baby Pact, again, that will be released on June 14th. So we have him on board. Let's get him on board right this minute. He's a very talented screenwriter, director, and producer. We talked to, to Matt Berman. Hi, Matt. Good morning. Hello there. We finally get together here. It's, yes. Uh, well, I understand that you were recently in our fair city of Las Vegas. I hope you won a lot of money. Uh, actually, I live in Las Vegas. We're neighbors. No way. Yeah. That is so cool. I live, uh, I live uh, right out right, kind of near Red Rock, off the 215 in Lone Mountain. Oh, I don't know where that is. I, I haven't been long moved here, so <laughs> I got to get out. Where, 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 where do you live? Do you live in Henderson? No, I live in the Arts District in, oh, uh, okay. near downtown. I live in a big old high rise, but anyway, that's another story, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, no, I actually, I actually love it here. I lived in Los Angeles for, for about 25 years, and I was just, you know, I, I, I had enough of Los Angeles and said I needed to move, and Las Vegas was calling my name. I understand. I was the same. Well, we're going to edit all this out, of course, but uh, I, yeah. I, I moved here uh, right before the pandemic hit. I moved here from Nashville, and um, I just wanted to start over. I, I just needed well, to... You know, it's funny. Most people are doing the opposite. A lot of people are moving to Nashville. Well, you know, they can have it. I, I hope that they like it. It's too cold for me. And I, I like the western region of the country so much better. It's better weather. And I still... I mean, I was there 16 years. I think it was time to go. It just was. I put my part in. I really did. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Well... <laughs> Okay, well, Matt, you have you wrote and directed this new film, The Wedding Pact, to the Baby Pact, which will be released June fourteenth on pay per view, video on demand, and all the other great major platforms. So you've got an impressive cast here: actors from Napoleon Dynamite, Criminal Minds, The Blind Side. So tell us first about your cast. Well, uh, I went to a college and uh, went to a little school in New, England, in, uh, New Hampshire called Franklin Pierce College. And uh, when we were graduating, a bunch of us decided we wanted to move out to Los Angeles to get into the entertainment industry. And uh, I ended up uh, so quickly, I became a page at Paramount Studios giving tours and working shows and, you know, audiences and things like that. And I kind of sort of found my groove into writing and uh, directing and you know, real quickly in 96, I made a, a film short that uh, got into a film festival and got that in front of a, uh, 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 an, an investor for a feature that I wanted to do, my first one uh, that he got financing for back in 19, if you can believe it, 99. Wow. Um, and uh, it was called Big Wind on Campus. And actually, uh, it starred Heather McComb, who plays the uh, sister of Haley Duff in, uh, in this one. And and when I called her and said I needed her to be in the movie, I said, you know, they say every 20 years we have to do a movie together. So that's how, that's how that worked out. And then uh, from there I did a movie called Hollywood and Wine, and then I did the, the first Wedding Pact uh, that came out in 2014 and then had the opportunity uh, to do uh, 
uh, the, the, the sequel. I, I met an, I, I did a movie that came out on Amazon Prime. It's called Manipulated. It was my first thriller. And uh, someone came up to me after a screening and said, what do you got next? And I said, I'd just love to do a sequel to The Wedding Pact. Because at the, at the end of The Wedding Pact, you know, it's a happily ever after kind of an ending. And I was driving in my car one day and said, well, what if happily ever after wasn't happily ever after? Uh-huh. Where would where would the story go from there? And uh, it's just incredible that I had the opportunity to write it and make it happen. And so without revealing, of course, too much, where does uh, Mitch and Elizabeth, the, the two main characters, where do they go in uh, the sequel here? Um, well, I can give you the setup to the movie. Actually, the movie starts off um, where Elizabeth is, uh, pa- her sister is visiting Elizabeth, the Haley Duff's character. And uh, they're packing up uh, their car because um, she is leaving Boston, which happened at the end of the first movie, because her husband, uh, through an accident, a a workplace accident, had passed away. And so she decided to leave Boston and start over uh, a new life in her hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. However, uh, three weeks before he passed away, Elizabeth found out that she was pregnant and having a baby. That will change things quickly. Uh, yeah, and so she starts a new life there and uh, gets, a, gets a job uh, working with Quentin Aaron, who's, like you said, from the blind side, who's a, a high school friend of hers. And one day she's visited by her, Mitch's, her husband's uh, mother, who decides uh, that she's going to go for full custody of the baby that she hasn't delivered yet because that is what her son wanted her to do if anything ever happened to him. Uh-huh. Or so, so she thinks. Goodness. Well, I don't hear a lot of the t- typical syrupy happily ever after in this storyline at all. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is some comedy in it. There is, uh, you know, it's not, it's not heavy, heavy. There is some lightheartedness. But I would say that where the first movie was more of a, a romantic comedy, I would say this is more in lines of what they call a dramedy, if that ah, makes any sense. Okay, okay. So what inspired, let's go back to 2014, 13, 14, um, the wedding pact. I mean, what inspired you to write the storyline? Was, was that something, a storyline that had happened in your life or friends or family or just strictly fiction? It, actually, yeah. When I had a um, a college uh, a girlfriend of mine, we were just friends, and we were hanging out one night, and we kind of just looked at each other, and we were like, "Let's make a pact that if we're both," it was. We said we were going to be forty, but we said, "Let's make a pact that if we're both forty and we're not married, we'll marry each other." And uh, and the funny thing, ironically, is is that uh, forty came and went. We both weren't married, and, but we did marry each other. Oh my uh, goodness! It happened. <laughs> But so, I, so when I came up with the story, I didn't make it, you know, 40, obviously. I just said in, in uh, 10 years after they graduate college. Oh, my God. Well, so that's, that's, where, that's, where the, that's where it kind of came from, yeah. That's that is so bold. funny. That is so funny. And The Wedding Pack was very successful, very successful film. It's, uh, uh, it's been seen millions of times, and uh, I couldn't be happier. And, uh, you know, it was on Netflix and all the all the... You know, especially, well, it was it was interesting because when the movie came out in 2014, the industry was still kind of DVDs and physical media and not, and just started dabbling into the streaming where now it's really just all about streaming platforms. 
which is an interesting uh, way uh, to get your movie out there. But I'm super excited about it because, uh, you know, you get the opportunity to, to get your movie everywhere to be seen. And uh, you don't have to spend, uh, you know, millions of dollars in uh, promotion to get it out there for the whole, you know, the fact that On Demand is taking the movie cover 70% of the country alone, which is great. That is good. And now we have uh, NFT films, NFT-backed films. Or uh, What do you think about that? Uh, we will soon be talking to a gentleman who is uh, really involved with filmmaking and NFT. So what is your spin about that? Is that the NFT? Is that like the non-fungible yeah. token mm-hmm. thing? I actually, I that is not my forte. Yeah, you would need to ask an expert about that. I do not dabble in Bitcoin and all those kind of things, and that would that is not my expertise. I've been so focused for the last two years. You know, it's funny. Can I just I just want to regress for a second? We were t- I was talking about my dad the other day, and it's just so funny how you know when when you start the idea of doing this movie and you write the script and you cast the movie and you film it and you edit it and it takes you know literally years say the last two years of my life have been on this movie and and now it's going to come out on june 14th and uh you know and it's like in 90 minutes people decide eh, whatever you know and you just work so hard on it it's just it's consumed my life for the last two years but i am super proud of this movie some reviews have already come out, uh, and they've been very positive, which I'm really happy about. I'm really glad Haley's getting a lot of recognition, too, for her acting talent. I think she's an extremely underrated actress who is just so emotional, and you just get so attached to her. She's just so good at drawing you in and making you root for her, and I think that's how you'll feel when you see the movie. Yes, very much so. Uh, well, okay, so how was it? Um, two years we've been, of course, in this pandemic. I mean, how did you work around all of this? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, we were gonna, we actually delayed the shoot three times because um, I think the first we were scheduled to shoot in, I believe, the first time was October of 2020, and uh, we ended up pushing all the way until. May of, uh, or, or almost May, late April of uh, 2021 is when the first day of shooting was. But because of COVID, um, I had to re- I had to do a rewrite on the script because there was this, this is, the problem was is that everyone that shows up on set during, during the COVID, and even now today, has to be tested. And, you know, that, that's a huge expense uh, uh, on, on the producers. So I actually had to rewrite a scene, and, and I wrote a beautiful scene uh, with uh, Haley's character and her father. And uh, I, I, it just, yeah, I'm so proud. And it will, actually, if it wasn't for COVID, it wouldn't have happened. But it's been uh, it's, everything it, besides the delays. Everything seems to be working out for the right reason, if that makes sense. Like. We're making lemonade out of lemons, if, that, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, yes, definitely. So, so I, you know, since you had told me earlier you live here in Vegas, and I know things are still kind of cautious with public events and such, but will there be any kind of red carpet activities going on here in Vegas for the release on June 14th? Well, last year, uh, I have, so I, I grew up in uh, Connecticut, and... Uh, back in 2014, uh, I was invited to do a screening of my film in, uh, 
in Newtown, Connecticut, if you remember what happened oh, yes. several years ago in Newtown. Yes. And it was it was an amazing experience. People came up to me after and said, you know, since that day, I haven't really laughed as much as I did until I saw this movie, and thank you so much for bringing it. So I've kind of been sort of adopted by the town a little bit, and mm-hmm. when we decided where are we going to do the premiere this time, we said we got to do it in Newtown, and you know, most of the cast is coming in, and June 8th, we're doing a big premiere in Newtown, Connecticut for this movie. Oh, wow. Oh, that's wonderful. That is so, so wonderful. So, uh, will you guys be streaming that on any social media sites or anything? The, the, the uh, premiere or what? Uh, well, I know that there's going to be media there. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, it won't be streaming live or anything like that. I don't think so. Uh, but I'm sure there will be plenty of media out there and plenty of stuff for uh, people to see what happens. But I know that there's a lot of news outlets that are coming and... Uh, and uh, it's gonna, it's really gonna be a great. Night. And one of the great things too is that there, we're actually um, making some tickets available to the public, uh, not for me personally, but as a, you know, these theaters, these some of these independent theaters are struggling these days, and yes. as a donation to the theater, they can come to the premiere for free. Oh, that's so, great. So uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy about that. And that's on June eighth in Newtown. June eighth, Wednesday before the Tuesday of the release, which works out perfect. Okay, so. And, uh, Give us the website the, for the film. Uh, the website is uh, w, you know all the W's, we don't say those anymore. <laughs> but uh, the website is WP2, as in Wedding Pack 2, so WP is in both, the number two, thebabypack.com. Okay. Don't. And you can go there and you can see, uh, we actually teamed up with a great band. I grew up in the 80s, so I'm a big 80s rock and roll guy. And, uh, I've got some, I mean, I got some great, songs in the movie from a band called the Bullet Boys. I don't know if you've heard of them or another band called Firehouse that, uh, you know, I got a song to put in the movie for them. But the Bullet Boys, uh, we actually put together and it's on the website, a music video with clips from the movie and the song in the movie. And what's really great about it is um, we shot it in a way where Haley and Heather McComber's sister are driving out to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they're actually singing the song. So it's it's really it's a really fun scene to to watch. So give us that website one more time. This is a lot of good activities that are coming up. Uh, It's a WP2, as in Wedding Pack 2, so WP2, thebabypack.com. Okay. That's a nice, nice, very nice gesture you did for those bands to get their their, uh, music out like that. That was really generous of you. Oh, they, uh, well, I grew up a big fan, so it was an honor to actually work with them. So, yeah. you know, that's one of, you know, and I'm also, you know, it's funny, I'm also a really big Star Trek fan. Ah. And uh, so I was able to get uh, Connor Trenier from Enterprise and Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine and Sirach Lofton from Deep Space Nine and uh, was able to get them in the movie, which was, you know, I was, I'd be so giddy to work with them. It was, it was great. But they, they just do a tremendous job in the movie. They're really, really good. Well, my final question here, uh, with the success of, uh, the, of course, The Wedding Pack, the original, and I'm sure the f- sequel is going to be just as successful, will there be a, a third sequel? Or too early it, to tell? Or I, will te- I will tease you with this. Okay. Um, I have come up with a scenario for The Wedding Pack, the final pact. Oh, 
goodness. What okay. can I guess? So hmm. let's cross our fingers that, uh, and, and I will also say too that there has been some interest and uh, we've been talking about it, but it would be, uh, it would be wonderful to complete the trilogy, I can tell you that. But this movie on its own, I'm super, super proud of. And I, and I, uh, I really think people are going to be impressed with what we've been able to do. You know, we're not, you know, we're not a studio. We don't have millions and millions of dollars to make movies. And, uh, we, you know, we shot this movie in uh, 17 days. And uh, when you see what's on the screen, I think you're going to be very impressed. I'm going to try to take a stab at guessing. Okay. The Wedding Pack 3, The In-Laws. No? No. Uh, <laughs> I can't tell you without revealing anything. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I must be getting close. So I'll, have to, I'll have to tell you after the movie comes out. I know that it'll make more sense. Well, that's a good excuse to bring you back on. And uh, we could talk more about it and have some laughs. Uh, but it's so good to have these types of movies with all of the turmoil that's going on in our society and culture to just, you know, just be entertained. And that's really well, good. I, I'll be, I just want to say that now that you said that, I just want to say real quick, you know, you know, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but I just, you know, in my experience, I know that a lot of independent movies these days usually have, you know, more heavy handed subject matter, a lot of swears, a lot, some drug use, some guns and shoot them up in violence. And um, this movie doesn't have any of that. It's super sweet. Um, and, you know, you and your, you know, your children can watch it together without any worries whatsoever. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's no sex, there's no violence, there's no drug use, no drinking. It's just a really nice story to watch that uh, hopefully, you know, the family can get together and, and watch. And that's what we need. So the movie, again, The Wedding Pack 2, The Baby Pact, it opens release, I should say, June 14th on pay-per-view, VOD, and all the great major platforms, and a big premiere, Newtown, Connecticut, on June 8th. And I just think that's really cool, really cool. Okay, yeah, and I'll, just, I'll leave you with this little piece. Okay. Um, she, she, she does have a baby. Mm-hmm. And it's either going to be a boy or a girl. Okay. But one of those two is going to be, I can promise you that. <laughs> a boy or a girl. Okay, the the, the mystery. <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> this was really nice of you. I really appreciate you giving me the time to, to get and talk about the movie, and hopefully inspires other people to get out there and make the movie if they if that's what they want to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so very much, Matt. Thank you so much, and you have a wonderful day. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Scott Berman, and once again, the movie is. Uh, releasing on June 14th, The Wedding Pact 2, The Baby Pact, the sequel to the original The Wedding Pact, and uh, available, again, pay-per-view, video on demand, and all of the major platforms that handle films and such as that. So uh, before we sign off here, I just got this note here, guess who's looking for new contestants for a new season? Yes, let's make a deal. They're looking for new contestants. So if this is one of your favorite game shows, you grew up on the show like I did, this is your shot. You need to give it a shot. Give it a chance here. So this is what's needed. If you are 
in the Southern California area, they prefer that you live in the Southern California area. However, as we all know, every weekend, LA people come to Vegas, vice versa. So, you know, we're, we're kind of like we're part of the family, I think. So this is what you need to do. If you are interested in trying out for the first round to be a possible contestant on Let's Make a Deal for their new season, hang out with Wayne Brady there. Um, you need to email your full name, first and last name, your telephone number, the city and zip code where you live. As I said, they I think for Vegas people, they'll just kind of fudge the rules just a little bit. And then you need to send a recent picture of yourself in a JPEG format, please. And we all know everybody has selfies, or you can just do one really fast while we're talking and listening here. So you need to email all of that first and last name, contact phone number, the city and zip code where you live in a recent picture of yourself in a JPEG format, and just email it to this email address, Jason at Pitt, P-I-T, Pittman Productions.com. And Pittman is spelled P like paper, I-T-M-A-N productions.com. That's Jason at Pittman productions.com. And if you are selected, if you make it through the first round, um, then they'll let you know. But that's step number one, email that content of information into the casting people. And you never know, you might get Unless make a deal and we can have some fun watching you. Maybe you'll win that car or that trip or that money. Okay. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of Film Festival Radio Show. As always, we thank all of our guests. We thank all of our listeners. And we'll see you guys next Saturday on another Film Festival Radio Show. Have a great rest of the weekend and we'll see you guys next Saturday. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com. Mm-hmm.